And that's where it's really important that we educate care staff in particular around how to use music effectively. And in line with evidence, rather than just having this broad assumption that music is a good thing and, you know, we should have music on all the time and it will make everybody happy because the truth is it's not that simple. We would love it to be, but it's not that simple. So we need to be a bit more careful. And that's something that I'm personally really passionate about. How do we empower our aged care workforce to use music as a tool that they have not only to support their clients' well-being, but also to support themselves. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Ash Deneef, and today we're talking about something very near and dear to my heart, music, or more specifically, music therapy. Returning to the show after a very quick Christmas catch-up is music therapist and founder of Attuned Health, Haley Antipas. And in this conversation, I really wanted to know, what is music therapy? I played music for about 20 years, and until this conversation, I didn't get it. But Haley does a fantastic job at explaining its clinical foundation and why it's so much more than just entertainment. Now, if you haven't been tuning in regularly, you might have missed our new show on Fridays called Who Cares, where our friends Daniela and Moz pick apart some of the challenges to delivering great care and share how they navigate them when working with older adults. It's a lot of fun, and you can find that in our normal podcast feed every Friday. But back to today's episode, we really hope that you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Haley and Tipas. Hey, welcome back to the show, Haley. Thanks for having me, Ash. Nice to see you again. You too. How did Christmas go? That's the first question. Well, it was pretty hot in Perth, but we uh, we managed to survive with the combination of a paddle pool and air conditioning. So it was a good day overall. Great combo. How hot was it? Uh, I think it got up to something like 42, maybe even slightly higher where I was, which was inland of Perth a little bit. No barefoot on the road. Absolutely not. not. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> nice. Hey, so we, we talked a little bit about Christmas and music and Christmas music at the end of last year, but let's wind it back a little bit. So what's your background and how did you end up in music therapy? I haven't taken a very straightforward pathway to becoming a music therapist, actually. And I guess it kind of goes all the way back to that end of high school, undergraduate, I was always really interested in music. I played the Mm. flute and wanted to be a performer, but I also had this interest in kind of medicine and health and chemistry and biology and all those sorts of scientific fields. So I ended up doing my undergraduate in music. And during my studies, there was a unit called music and medicine. And I loved it. I thought it was the most fascinating thing ever. And then there was no other mention of it. So I just carried on with my studies and graduated and and moved on. And then happened to, by chance, be at a jazz concert. And the performer started talking about this jazz singer, Melody Gardot. 
who had had a brain injury and music therapy had been part of her recovery and rehabilitation. And I distinctly remember just being sat in the audience going, hang on a minute, there is a profession where you can use music and actually help people recover from brain injury and help people on their well-being journey. This is what I have to do. And that was probably about seven or eight years ago. So I left oil and gas and went and worked as a disability support worker for a while to dip my toe into the industry and work out if I even liked being in healthcare and then taught myself guitar, applied for the Master of Music Therapy and have obviously now completed that and am a registered music therapist. So it's kind of a windy pathway, but I think it really contextualizes some of my interests now in music therapy Mm. as well. So I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we go on. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think what might be helpful here as well, because when I imagine if people don't know anything at all about music therapy, they might go, oh, you're the person who comes in and plays the old tunes for people. So you you taught yourself guitar, you started the Masters of Music Therapy. And what's the sort of process to get to the point where you're qualified to go and deliver sessions? So in Australia currently, there's only two universities that have a program to become that is uh, accredited with the Australian Music Therapy Association. So that allows you to become a registered music therapist and they're both master's programs. So that is really learning how do we process music? How does music affect our neurology, our chemicals and hormones, the structure of our brain, but also from a psychological and kind of sociological point of view as well? What role does music play in this broader sense of health and well-being? And there's also, I think it's currently about 650 clinical hours that a person will have to do on that master's program. So supervised by a registered music therapist. And then once they've completed that master's program, they register with the Australian Music Therapy Association, which is the governing body for that this profession in Australia. And obviously with that governing body as an allied health profession, as any allied health profession has, We have annual continuing professional development requirements, standards of practice, codes of ethics, all of those types of things that we must adhere to. Cool. It sounds like there's lots of rigorous structure around it and it's coming from a scientific basis, not just a, I feel like playing a song for someone kind of area. Absolutely. Yeah. Music therapy is completely research-based. So we will only use methods and techniques that there is evidence that they're useful for whatever that goal might be that we're working on. Cool. So what are some goals that you might be working on Mm. if you're going into, you know, delivering a session to somebody? I personally specialise in working with adults and primarily that's adults who have a neurological condition, whether a brain injury or a neurodegenerative disease like dementia or Parkinson's, but also adult mental health as well. So I'll talk more around some older adult examples And I think what you said around that assumption that you're the person who comes in and plays guitar and sings some songs is so accurate. My most common title is music lady. Uh, When I go into a residential aged care facility, the the staff will sort of say to the the clients or group of people, the music lady's here. Mm -hmm. That's fine. I don't mind being called music lady. But what we do 
really does vary. So if we look at an example of someone who has perhaps had a stroke, they might have weakness in one side of their body, but also one third of people who have experienced a stroke will have post-stroke depression. So when we think about how we can best support that person to live their life well after having a stroke, we want to support them emotionally and psychologically, but also functionally as well. So we might be working on regaining strength in that weakened side of the body, or we might be working on speech as well, which is often impaired by a stroke. And we might well sing songs if we're working on speech goals. Hmm. therapeutic singing, we call it. But we might also do something really structured where we're using the melody to try and prime a certain response by the person. And this is where we get more into kind of the neurologic music therapy techniques. So, for example, you might see a music therapist singing a song and then stopping at the last couple of words. It looks really simple, but what the music therapist is doing is we know that overlearned lyrics, so a song that somebody knows really, really well, kind of falls into this non-propositional speech bucket. So typically a person can sing those words even if perhaps they can't even speak. Wow. And then what we're doing is trying to build on those neuropathways to then allow that person to speak more intentionally. So use target words and start to form sentences again by gradually stripping away the musical components of melody and rhythm and harmony and all of those different aspects of the music. So whilst you might be looking at a music therapy session perhaps and going, well, they're singing a song, that seems really easy. The thing that differentiates music therapy from entertainment or a choir, for example, is a lot of the intent. So we're really being very purposeful in how we use a song to achieve a very clear goal. Wow. Okay. So for example, you're sitting with an older adult and you're playing I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles, something mm-hmm. from that era. So you'll you'll identify that this is a song that might have personal meaning to the person. And even if they're non-verbal at the point that you come into the session, Your job is to coax them into singing with you or or making sound and engaging with you to the point that they might do some things on their own. Yeah, definitely. But equally, we might have a session where the goal is to help that person relax. And in that Mm. instance, I might not be trying to coax them to engage in any way. I might actually be using some reassurance to let them know that they can just listen to the music. And what's really interesting with music is it's one of the only things that affects our entire brain. So actually, when we're hearing music, our breathing rate changes, our heart rate changes, our blood pressure changes, and this whole cocktail of hormones and chemicals in our in our brain and in our body changes. So a person will quite automatically align their breathing to the music. So I can then use the speed of that music to help someone feel a bit more energised by perhaps breathing a little bit quicker or to help them relax by slowing it down, which will often lead to deeper breathing as well. So in that instance, I might not be trying to get them to interact in any kind of overt way, but instead I'll, I'll know that 
by me providing that live music in a very intentional way, their body might respond in a calming and relaxing sort of way. Wow. You know, we've spoken about two specific goals there with older adults. What are some other sorts of goals you might have? I think we'd be remiss, particularly talking about dementia, to not mention memory. Mm -hmm. Music is one of these beautiful things that is wrapped up in our personal identity, it's wrapped up in our social identity, and for a lot of people, cultural identity as well. So it's a huge part of who we are. And what recent studies have now shown is music creates these kind of protected musical memories where even in the very, very late stages of dementia, if a person hears a meaningful song, they can actually still remember. And it's one of the most beautiful things to be a witness to if you see somebody who is quite often confused and, and doesn't typically remember a lot about their life or who they are and, and can't interact with their environment very easily. And then you see them listen to a song that just totally brings them back to who they are and allows them to connect with the people around them and the, the world around them. It's just so magical. So when working with people with dementia, that orienting goal is often quite common. So we do that through stimulating memories from familiar music and kind of adjusting the music to help them be with us in that moment and just be present. Really great to call out the, the transformation that can happen. And, and we had on the show Michael Rosato Bennett a couple of weeks ago. He hasn't, episode's not out yet, but the director of the film Alive Inside which if people haven't seen, highly recommend you check it out. But there's a clip with Henry and the iPod, mm -hmm. which was going around about 10 years ago, which really captures that moment of transformation so well. I'm guessing you see moments like that in your work quite a lot. I do. I absolutely do. And I actually use the clip of Henry in training quite often when I'm working with caregivers who support people with dementia. But I would just add a caveat to that. As a music therapist, one thing that I find is, expectations are sometimes set at a certain level based mm. on seeing those transformational moments, which <laughs> yeah. do absolutely happen. But what happens more often with a person in, with a very advanced dementia is that they might not completely transform, but we might see that they just look towards the speaker or the singer a little bit more, or they might lift their head or kind of just gently smile, but they don't necessarily always start singing along and then speaking. And I think it's just important to recognise that all of these responses to music are perfectly valid and it doesn't make one response better than another, but sometimes, particularly for family members, it can be quite distressing to think and have this expectation that if I put on this song that you know me and mum used to sing together all the time she's going to remember and start singing with me and when that doesn't happen it can be quite upsetting so it's mm. just important to remember that it's not always transformational yeah, yeah. right thank you for, for highlighting that yeah when um with silver adventures when we take virtual reality into to a care home we've we see that sort of difference as well, that some people are very responsive and others, there's a little change, but just kind of 
acknowledging that that little change is as meaningful as a big change for somebody else. Absolutely. And also remembering as well that there might be a little change on one day and then the next day there could be a big change. And if Mm. we think about that with ourselves as well, I know for myself some mornings I'll put music on to try and motivate me and kind of get me into the day. And some days it works really well and other days I'm a bit, yeah, that's not really, I'm not really feeling that today. (laughs) I kind of turned the music off. And it's exactly the same for most human beings. And I think sometimes we just forget that when we're working with people in living with dementia because we have such good intentions. You know, we really want them to have that beautiful, positive experience of engaging with music. And we forget that, you know, some days you just aren't feeling it. Or some days you just want something different, you know, not the same song that you've already heard before. Yeah, it's not just, I played the song, now you should respond to me. (laughs) Exactly right, yeah. Much more complicated. Yeah. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey-Barlant. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back and they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares?, where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of aged care's challenges and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Murray, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, Daniela. <laughs> I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Murray. You, and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. So are you regularly working with the same people and you'll know like, oh, last week John responded well to this? Is it those sorts of long-term relationships it's based on? Yeah, typically. I mean, there's also different models and approaches where it might be more of a single session framework that you're working in. An example of that might be something like really end-of-life care. Mm. But typically... Certainly my personal experience, I tend to work over a longer period with people, seeing them either weekly or fortnightly. And it's great that you mentioned there the relationship because that is such a primary tool for change in music therapy and often forgotten because music is wonderful and we like to focus on the music. But actually part of being a music therapist is being able to form that therapeutic relationship with someone where then you're able to use music and the relationship with them to have that change in terms of their health and well-being. Without the relationship, that therapeutic relationship, it's not really music therapy. Mm, it's just a song. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's great. We've got a friend of the show who's actually in our new show, Mori Voicey Bailen or, or Moz, does a lot of uh, engagement with people living in, in residential care. And he talks a lot about you need to know the people so well and know that they might hate that song or this might make them sad and, and, you know, whatever it is, understanding what the relationship is between certain types of music or certain experiences for that individual. Absolutely. And I know Moz quite well. We have regular chats. I absolutely adore his work. So um, glad that you brought him up there. And I think that's you've really touched on something important there. What I love about music therapy is it's strengths-based. So we can always find a way of utilising the person's strengths in a music therapy session. 
it's person-centered. We're going to tailor the music to their life experiences and to their preferences, but it's also relationship-centered. Music is one of the most powerful tools we have to connect with another human being. I mean, it literally stimulates, you know, what's dubbed the love hormone. When we Mm. sing with another person, both of our brains produce oxytocin and it makes us feel connected to that person. It's why we often make friends with strangers at concerts because we're all singing together and we feel connected. But in aged care, that's that's really important to think about that person-centred element of music because we do know from research that not everybody responds in a positive way to music. And in particular, people who have depression, and we know there's a very, very high comorbidity of dementia and depression, but also people who have had depression throughout their life will use music in quite a different way. And it can actually have negative effects. So for Mm. example, if we think about someone who's feeling quite depressed in a very low mood, they are probably going to want to listen to music that validates how they feel, which is a really positive thing. We, we need our emotions to be validated. The difference is whether or not we can change that. So a person, if they can then make some intentional music choices to select something that would then lift their mood a little bit, that's a really positive thing. But if a person is listening to, let's say, sad music, you know, using air quotes there, and it's making them feel worse and they're not able to change the music because they're what we call ruminating in this cycle of a depressive state or low mood state, it's actually not having a positive effect. And that's where it's really important that we educate care staff in particular around how to use music effectively Mm -hmm. and in line with evidence rather than just having this broad assumption that music is a good thing and, you know, we should have music on all the time and it will make everybody happy because the truth is it's not that simple. We would love it to be, but it's not that simple. So we need to be a bit more careful. And that's something that I'm personally really passionate about. How do we empower our aged care workforce to use music as a tool that they have not only to support their clients' well-being, but also to support themselves. Mm. Because we know that when caregivers engage in music experiences with their client or their loved one, if we're talking about home care, there's actually positive benefits for everybody involved. And that's something that I'm actually doing more research on in my PhD. So we'll have to talk more about that another time. You segued so nicely into what I was going to ask about there. So you mentioned before that you're doing some training of carers and how to use music therapy techniques. And we were talking before recording that your PhD is focused on the effects that can have on the caregivers themselves. Maybe we can get into that later in a different episode. But when you're teaching caregivers to, to use these techniques, what sorts of concepts are you covering? Just to take a step backwards. So my business, Attuned Health, is really focused on improving the sustainability of the benefits of music therapy, but also access to it. So there aren't enough music therapists in Australia, or to be honest, probably the world, for all people who could benefit from music therapy being able to access it. And if we think specifically about aged care, um, and I'm really interested in residential aged care, 
there's just not enough music therapists to go around. And even if there was, often the music therapist might be there for one day a week or even one day a fortnight. So it's really important that we develop the capacity of the caregivers to sustain those benefits throughout the week. Because the reality is, you know, they're there 24-7 and there's lots of aspects of caregiving that are very challenging. Now, I'm sure you've probably heard from other guests on the show examples around, you know, people being quite confused around personal care. So things like showering and bathing and they Mm. can get quite confused and scared and then sometimes more aggressive towards their caregivers in that situation. So a lot of my training is focused on how do those caregivers use music in those difficult situations, but not just in the difficult situations, how do they be proactive with music? How do they use music to enhance the relationship with somebody so they get to know them better and they build that connection? Mm-hmm. And from my research, when I can't understand that for a lot of professional caregivers, their sense of purpose and their identity and meaning is really deeply connected to the relationship they have with the people that they support and their sense of providing support to that person. So when they see a client appreciative of the care, that's really positive for the caregiver and that gives them a real boost. So a lot of my training, therefore, is focused on those techniques that can enhance the relationship. So we might do things like breaking down some of the psychological barriers around singing, which is really scary for a lot of caregivers, but it's a fundamental part of being human and such a wonderful, wonderful tool, not only for connecting with somebody, but also for regulating emotions. So if we think about that situation where a person might be really scared and frustrated, using your voice and then singing, so adding rhythm and melody you actually can have a very profound effect on being able to regulate that person's emotions and help them feel more settled and safe. But we also would look at techniques around selecting the right music for for different situations and moods, Mm -hmm. looking at how we can use rhythm. And again, you know, thinking about if you hear something fast, it often kind of makes your whole system feel a little bit more elevated. And often if we hear something slow, it kind of slows us down, which is, as I mentioned earlier, that physiological response where our breathing, our heart rate literally does speed up or slow down based on that music. So we can think about if you've got a person who's really unsteady on their feet, for example, and we know that falls are a huge challenge and and risk factor in aged care. We teach caregivers how to use a technique called rhythmic auditory stimulation, which actually helps to improve the symmetry of a person's walking, but also then their balance, so their stability. So we're actually helping caregivers use all these music therapy techniques. So throughout the entire course of the day, they've got the right tool in their bag, musical tool to pull out and and meet whatever situation they face. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm wondering, because we've talked about a couple of different techniques or approaches for people who are in residential care, and you mentioned that there have been occasions where you've worked with people in palliative care at the end of life. What sort of techniques or approaches are you using there? 
when we talk about palliative care, it is supporting a person with a life-limiting illness. So most of the people that I work with are in palliative care to some degree. However, what palliative care is often used to describe in residential aged care is that really acute phase as in the last few days or possibly weeks of a person's life. If we're talking more at those acute aspects of palliative care, it could go one of two ways. So it might be that a person perhaps has some terminal restlessness where they might be getting quite anxious, they might be experiencing pain, and we'll use a lot of those regulatory techniques that I mentioned earlier to be more calm and we'll really be using the rhythm and the speed of the music quite strategically. Or it could be that we're wanting to create a familiar environment so that they feel safe and calm in that space. So we might use songs that they know, but we'll almost always play them live so we can adapt to the person. So if they Mm. become distressed in any way, we can change the music. It might be, I remember using ACDC, in that situation before, which most people probably think palliative care, why are you playing ACDC? <laughs> Highway to hell. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't one of the songs, but uh, you don't typically associate ACDC with palliative care. But that was the music that this particular person loved and found really comforting and reassuring. But I was able to play the music live in a way that was much slower, so not to escalate his breathing rate too much and his heart rate too much. Um, And he still then had that comforting environment, but the music was played in a way that was physiologically beneficial Mm. for him. And I often find that that environmental aspect of music therapy at the end of life can be really important for staff and families as well. I recently had an experience with a client who, as he was passing away, I felt very privileged to be invited by his family to provide music therapy whilst they were all there with him as he was dying. And all of them thanked me for creating that that space where it wasn't just around the sadness. They could connect and there was moments where they would say things like, I, I remember this song, you know, do you remember dad used to sing this or things like that. So you're able to create those memories for people. And it's, yeah, it's just such a privilege to be invited into those spaces. Yeah, it's super interesting how you can be in all these different situations. It seems like a through line through all of them is there's a vulnerability from both you and from the person receiving the session or being part of the session. How do you find those moments when you have somebody who might have a story about themselves that they're not creative or they're not expressive? How do you get through that sort of environment? Well, firstly, I'd just like to say I've never heard music therapy phrased that way, but I love that, that vulnerability, that mutual vulnerability. So I might pinch that one, Ash, if you don't mind. But in terms of people not feeling creative, such a common thing, such a common thing. And really, you just don't push a person. Hmm. I tend to take a very humanistic lens and music is a lovely way of inviting people to, to engage and participate. But it's also not a forceful way of doing it. And we often see very well-meaning family members or caregivers kind of trying to actively get someone to engage with music. But I wouldn't necessarily say that that's the best approach. 
it's really just about letting somebody come to it in their own time and in their own space. And I have written countless songs with people who don't believe that they are creative and still don't believe that they're creative in <laughs> any way and end up producing these songs that, to take the words from one of my clients, he said to me recently, well, that's just how I feel. So that was at the end of this song, which is about his experience of dementia. We got to the end of it and I asked him, you know, how is that song? Do you think it is relevant still? And he said, it's just how I feel. Mm. So he he still doesn't think that he's a creative person, but he's written this song, which I must say is absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, I think part of us deep down, all of us have creativity and for whatever reason, it can be really confronting to tap into it and quite awkward, particularly for adults, I find. Adults often feel like, oh, I can't sing, I can't do music. Um, but you just, they don't have to. I'll often say to people, that's fine, you can just listen if you like. And then gradually, gradually, they they might start participating. The amount of times a client has said to me, oh, I can't sing. And I'll say, that's fine. Let me sing a song for you and see if you recognize it. And within seconds, they'll be singing. And for the whole rest of the session, they'll be singing along. So, yeah, I think it's just something intuitive, something that's naturally part of being human. And when we are in that safe therapeutic space, a lot of those barriers just kind of disappear. Hayley, this has been great. Obviously, I'm, I've got a lot of vested interest in a music conversation, but I've really enjoyed this one. Where can people find out more about your work? So people can jump on the Attuned Health website, which is Attuned Health. That's A-T-T-U-N-E-D, health.com.au. You'll find out lots of information about our services. Yeah, people can connect with me on LinkedIn, reach out. I love hearing from people about how they're using music. And as I say, you know, sharing these little bits of music therapy knowledge to to really maximise how they use music and just give that little bit um, more confidence to what mm. to people using music strategically and using it purposefully. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Ash. Thanks for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget that each Friday, we've got a fresh episode of our new show, Who Cares?, in which Daniela and Maury take another look at the ideas we've been discussing in today's episode and how they might affect all of us working in the aged care industry. It's fun, thought-provoking, and just a little bit silly. And the good news is it's all right here in the podcast feed, so you don't have to click anywhere else. But if you want to make sure you don't miss out, hit the subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when that episode is available. Anyway, we'll see you next week.